or call 870-972-2781. Wolves up. You're listening to KMEA Jonesboro and KBRI Clarendon. The Ticket. It's time for The Setup, the fastest hour in sports talk here on The Ticket. Here are your hosts, Cade Carlton and Andrew Bowen. All right, welcome into a Wednesday, September 8th, 2021 edition of the show. Cade Carlton, Andrew Bowen with you here on The Ticket. 95.3 95.3 FM, 96.9 FM, 9.70 AM KNEA, along with 95.3theticket.com and on the TuneIn app through KNEA. Find us on social media at 95.3theticket on Twitter, facebook.com slash 95.3theticket if you want to follow along there. Uh, a lot to get into on the program today. We're going to have our uh, weekly chat with uh, Philip Butterfield of the EAB Red Wolf Sports Network. Uh, we'll start to look at Memphis for the first time. Uh, we'll kind of look at college football as a whole. We'll continue to go over kind of what we saw on Saturday in that uh, A-State-UCA game. That and much more coming up after Andrew gets us caught up on some headlines. All right. Brought to you by Plaza Tire Service, bringing you the best deals on tires. Live with the Red Wolves returns to Lost Pizza tonight on Southwest Drive. Head coach Butch Jones and a special player guest will recap the season opening win over Central Arkansas and talk about the Memphis game coming up this Saturday. Show will begin at 7 p.m. and can be heard on 107.9 KFine and the KFine app. Did I hear correctly that Kara said uh, Corey Rucker? Yes, Corey, Corey Rucker will player be the guest. Yep. player guest. So yep. get down there or tune in. Uh, moving on to the Cardinals. Uh, they continue to struggle as they lose their fourth game in a row, 7-2 to to the Los Angeles Dodgers last night. Former Cardinal Albert, the Albert Pujols homered in the first inning after a lengthy ovation uh, welcoming him back to Bush Stadium. The teams play again tonight at 6.45 p.m. on 95.9 The Wolf. Going to college football, uh, Ryan Greenhagen, who plays for Fordham and is a linebacker, sets a new NCAA record with 31 tackles in one game versus Nebraska. They still lost 52-7, but 31 tackles, new NCAA record for single-game tackles. So big shout out Crazy. to him, and that's just wild. I've never heard of that. But yeah. also, like I was saying before the show, I don't know how you lose fifty-two to seven with uh, thirty-one <laughs> tackles. It's kind of impressive. But anyways, keeping with football, but moving to the pros, NFL news: Le'Veon Bell has been signed to the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. This was a result of two huge injuries in the Ravens' running back depth, causing them to look elsewhere for a running back. Bell last played for the Chiefs, where he finished with 328 rushing yards, 138 receiving yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Now, I don't think this is a comeback for Bell. I think his prime is kind of gone, but it is good to see him on a new team because he is an exciting player to watch. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sure. And that's been your headlines, brought to you by Plaza Tire Service. Now back to Cade. 
All right, here's your other headline that's just coming out in the last 15 to 30 minutes or so. Uh, Keith Jenkins of the Inquirer and USA Today out of Cincinnati is reporting that the University of Cincinnati has officially submitted its application to join the Big 12 Conference. Uh, The Big 12 is expected to announce Friday that Cincinnati will join. Uh, Cincinnati is required to give the American uh, 27-month notice to leave, and the AAC's exit fee is $10 million. So... 27 months is very specific. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, that's that's the latest. So 27 months, I guess, would put Cincinnati at maybe 23 or 24 before they could officially join the Big 12 Conference. But expected to uh, expected announcement from the Big 12 on Friday that Cincinnati will join the league. So uh, that is some. Um, interesting stuff there it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes yeah. out within the american because that's the um, best team oh. now sports business journal yesterday said cincinnati uh byu houston and ucf were all expected to apply for the big 12 conference membership this week the only one that has kind of came out from any kind of source officially applying is cincinnati so we'll see what uh if anything comes out of BYU, Houston, or UCF throughout the course of the re- week, but that is the latest, that the University of Cincinnati has officially submitted its application to join the Big 12 Conference. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the week and see uh, what becomes of that. Hey, the uh, A-State is set to play a team from that exact conference this weekend the american athletic conference and it is memphis uh we're going to get our first chance to really kind of dive in and look at what memphis will bring to the table we're going to start our unit preview with their offense coming up in the next segment uh we'll be joined by philip butterfield at 2 30 come back uh and in the final segment kind of go over some national college football stuff but uh figured we'd start the show out today and you know we kind of we went over the defense a little bit yesterday in that A-State game, but kind of just grazed over it because there was so much to get into with that A-State-UCA game on Saturday, and really the big storyline was the quarterback battle, and there was so much to get into with college football over the weekend that really just didn't have a chance to kind of dedicate a segment to talking about what the defense did on Saturday and maybe what we can kind of expect out of this defense on this Saturday when they play a like opponent from the group of five. So, A-State in last Saturday's game, six tackles for loss and two interceptions in the game. So, how far back do you have to go to find the last time A-State had six or more tackles for a loss and two or more interceptions in a game? The answer is November 26, 2019, 14 games ago against Coastal when they had eight tackles for loss and two interceptions in that game. That's not too far back. Not too far back, but it didn't happen at all last year. So already you've seen an improvement from last year's defense, and honestly it's hard not to be improved from what we saw last week. So – how does that translate? I mean, I, I don't know. I tend to think the defense is very much so improved. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, 
what that looks like against a like opponent, Memphis, who is favored in the game, and most people think that they are the better team in this matchup. It'll be interesting to see what the defense looks like this week. But there was a different look up front. They created a lot of havoc up front on Saturday night. And let's just talk about the guys up front for A-State. The defensive line accounted for seven tackles last week, four of which for, were for loss. I think that's pretty good. That means they were getting off blocks and getting in the backfield and causing a little havoc. Yeah, yeah. causing, you know, causing loss of yardage on plays. Yeah, I think they were all over the place in a good way. Um, I don't think it was perfect, but, you know, it's the first game of the season. So to have that right out the gate is pretty impressive especially because you can build on that. Yes. I think the most impressive thing about the defense, though, was – and you could say Kavon Bennett stood out, and he did. I mean, he had three tackles for loss. He, four tackles in the game, three tackles for loss. You know, you could say, you know, a couple of guys in the secondary, uh, you know, Ellery Alexander had an interception, kind of stood out. But one of the most impressive things about the A-State defense from Saturday and why I tend to think what we saw against UCA will carry over – into this week is that there's really not just one player you kind of hang your hat on that stands out I mean it just they all kind of fly to the ball and make plays I mean there were six guys that finished the game between six to four tackles on Saturday for A-State which is a pretty impressive number yeah definitely I mean that means six of your starting 11 were in on a lot of plays yeah it means they were covering the ball really well I mean it Throughout the game, because you and I were in the press box, I had the stats uh, website up, and just seeing every play, it seemed like two or one or two players every or every drive, excuse me, one or two players was getting two more tackles. So it just kept building the whole game, and by the end, I mean, your leading tackler had ten total tackles or eleven. So yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, and again, it's a thing where. Like, the defense does not have to be leading the Sunbelt Conference in every statistical category for A-State to have success. A-State's good enough offensively. They're going to score a lot of points. They just have to be serviceable. But I, I really kind of feel like after Saturday, they may be leaning toward the good side of things. Now, this week, the challenge is the Memphis offensive line, which we'll kind of get into more in the next segment. But they're, they have a lot of experience from left guard to right tackle. Right. But – a redshirt freshman starting at left tackle. So what does this defensive line look like against an offensive line that has a ton of experience across the board? And are we going to see the same type of pass rush that we saw last weekend where Braylon Smith never really looked comfortable in the pocket? I'm going to say yes, just because having watched Memphis football for a long time, um, that has always been their problem. They have experience on the line, but for some reason, they can't protect their quarterback. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a curse or something, but every quarterback I've seen at Memphis has had unbelievable amounts of pressure the entire game. The difference is they usually have a pretty solid quarterback. Yeah. So with Paxton Lynch in the past, Brady White, I mean, they've had good quarterbacks. So... um. It'll be interesting to see – oh, Riley Ferguson. almost forgot him. Yeah. But uh, this defensive line, I think, can really cause some problems. It's just they have to improve on the last game because last game they were getting to the quarterback, you know, making Smith uncomfortable. But 
they were just every play it was like this close and this close from a sack so uh if they can you know build on that and start getting sacks then it's a whole different game well I mean I think if you play we talked about it yesterday outside of one busted play on Saturday in the first half which went for a 60 70 yard touchdown by UCA right that was about the best defensive performance you could have hoped for in the first half because really Outside of the busted play, you give up zero points in the first half. I mean, yeah. if you if you do that against Memphis, you're going to win the game. Definitely. But I think the other key stat from the A-State defense on Saturday was they held UCA to an average of two yards per rush. It's probably unrealistic to think you can hold Memphis to that just because Memphis has a really good running back and like kind of like A-State – they had three or four different guys that could get in at running back and touch the ball. But you hold their top rusher to under 100 yards, and you hold them to maybe around four to five yards per carry. I think you look pretty good. I, th- I think you look pretty good. So it, um, I mean, Memphis is known for producing just monster running backs. They are, yeah. So, yeah, their, their run game is their bread and butter. Um, their passing is decent this year not as good as it's been in the past but their run game is still pretty solid um so it'll it'll be interesting because it seemed like it was the complete opposite for uca where they didn't rush very often um due to the defense obviously but they were more of a pass heavy offense and the defense played well against them so i'm interested to see how they play against a team that can pass and passes decent but their run game is their bread and butter, and that's yeah. where they go. So I'm interested to see how they play against that. Yeah, I, I am too. And I think, again, like UCA is really good FCS school. I don't think that was a good barometer of where this team kind of stands, you know, within the conference, within the group of five. I think you're going to kind of get an idea of, all right, this is kind of what we've got, and this is, based off that, this is what the expectations can be set at for this season after Saturday night because I mean you go, you go beat Memphis Saturday night and it's like all right well 2-0 oh, winning a good winning team. you know it's it's not crazy to think you could go win the west if you go beat Memphis Saturday night if you get beat soundly to Memphis and it's kind of like all right well maybe we're hoping for six wins seven wins to get to a bowl game you know right. this year and it just I think you're going to be able to tell a lot and I think you got I think you got a good sense of what this team's going to be about against UCA, but I really think you're going to have a great sense it'll, of what they're going to look like going forward the rest of the year after this Memphis game. It'll also set the tone for the Washington game. It will, yeah. And, and listen, Washington's a team that lost to an FCS team in Montana this week. So, I mean, you go beat you go beat Memphis Saturday, and then you're looking at your next two opponents. Week one lost to an FCS school, and so you've kind of feel good about the remainder of your non-conference schedule I would think so yeah uh, all right so we'll get into uh we're going to take a look at uh, the uh, Memphis offense welcome in Philip Butterfield get his recap on the game uh Saturday as well as look ahead to Memphis uh here in the next couple of segments right now we'll step aside for our first time out of the program we'll be back after this here on the ticket 
We're not ready to go to the closer just yet. Stick around. More of the setup is coming up next on The Ticket. Attention, members and guests. Make plans for Live with the Red Wolves Wednesday night from 7 to 8 at Lost Pizza on Southwest Drive. Join head coach Butch Jones along with a special player guest and listen along on 107.9 K-Fine and the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network from Learfield. Plus, audience members can win prizes from textbook brokers. It's all at Lost Pizza Wednesday night at 7 during Live with the Red Wolves presented by the Arkansas Department of Health and sponsored by Angie Gallagher of the United Country Scenic Rivers Realty, Crown Limousine, Vision Care Center, Farmers and Merchants Bank, Stanley Woodard Law Firm, and Blue Cross Blue Shield agent Woody Harrelson. Swing drive to deep left. It's going, going. Another home run for 1812 Pizza Company. 1812 Pizza Company knocks it out of the park every time with a huge selection of the area's best pizzas, salads, and sandwiches, plus a great list of lunch specials. And there are a ton of ways to get it to your team. Dine-in, delivery, or drive through at their Race Street location. Or delivery, curbside pickup, or Dine-in with members and guests at Hilltop. And you can order online at 1812pizzacompany.com. Send your crowd home happier than a walk-off homer with 1812 Pizza Company. If you need hearing aids but don't know if your insurance company covers them, call hearing specialists in Jonesboro today. They can find out for you. So why wait? Call 932-8200. Right now, Arkansas Obamacare Insurance and some Blue Cross policies are paying for digital wireless Bluetooth state-of-the-art hearing aids from hearing specialists in Jonesboro. But this may be for a limited time, so you must act soon. Call hearing specialists in Jonesboro now at 932 932-8200. 932-8200. 932-8200. Where are we going? I thought you wanted to get some stuff for the party. We're going to the old country store off the Cash River in Sedgwick, just 10 miles from Jonesboro. Yeah, but we need something besides beer and wine, don't we? The old country store has all spirits now. I'm taking you to see all your favorite men. Oh, you mean Jack, Jim, Jose, and Johnny. Yep. You know, Jose's my favorite. Keep your clothes on this time. The proceeding was recorded by poorly paid voice actors. The Old Country Store and Spirits, 16067 Highway 63 East in Sedgwick, just 10 miles from Dan Avenue. The Old Country Store. Hey, it's Brandon Baxter for Elite Men's Health in Jonesboro. Guys, if you want to lose weight and get in shape for summer, you need to go by Elite Men's Health. We've all heard the talk about how women's hormones change as they get older, but guys, guess what? That happens to us too. Most men begin to see a drop in testosterone by the age of 30 and some even before that. So why put in all that hard work if your testosterone isn't working for you? I mean, it's going to be harder to lose weight, to burn fat, and perform at your peak if your testosterone level is too low. If you feel run down and tired all the time, if you feel like you have less strength or less endurance, and if you're struggling to lose weight, you might have low testosterone. Elite Men's Health worked for me. My free testosterone level is up over 300%. Go by Elite for an evaluation, and if your T-levels are low, let them develop a plan that's perfect for your body. If you want to feel like you did when you were in your late teens and early 20s, head to Elite Men's Health. In their new location, 2203 East Nettleton in Jonesboro, right next door to Rob Taylor State Farm. Or check out EliteMensHealth.com. We're always rooting for overtime round here. Now let's get back to the setup. All right, welcome back here on the setup, about 12 minutes or so away from our uh, weekly chat with Philip Butterfield, the color analyst on A-State football broadcast from the EAB Red Wolf Sports Network. So get a chance to chat with him here at about uh, 12 minutes or so at uh, 2.30, but figured going into our conversation with Philip, we would kind of keep it on the uh, A-State side. So, weird week this week, no show on Monday. 
and only a four show week and worst week for it to happen too. Yeah, There's like so right, much to talk yes. about. <laughs> so what we did last week is kind of did unit previews for both A State and UCA throughout the week and kind of spaced it out. Well, this week we pretty much already done a unit preview for A State and both offensively and defensively with as much as we've talked about the UCA game. But uh, Memphis played their season opener on Saturday at the Liberty Bowl against Nichols State. I don't know how much you can take out of that Nichols game last week. Right. Yeah, A little bit, probably not a lot. Nichols is trending up, but they're still an FCS team. They're, I think, 34-27, over the last five seasons. And I – you know, I don't know how much you can tell from right. Memphis, um, but take it with a grain of salt, basically. Yeah, you can tell a little bit from Memphis, and you can tell that they like to run the ball. So, last week in the Nichols game, by total plays, they had fifty-three rushing plays, thirty-two passing plays. So, a team that kind of leads toward the rush and. That's what you would expect with their quarterback situation, and we'll get to that. But first off, we'll talk about the running back. So three guys in last week's memphis Nickel State game ran for over 60 yards last week for the Tigers, including their starting running back, Brandon Thomas, a name that may be familiar to some that follow high school football throughout the state of Arkansas uh, because Thomas is a North Little Rock high school product uh, who just – insane numbers when he was at North Little Rock High School. Uh, career 4,813 rushing yards in high school and averaged wow. 9.2 yards per carry in the highest classification in the state of Arkansas. That's very impressive. So he's he's one of the best running backs maybe ever to come through North Little Rock High School, a place that has had a lot of success at football. But Wow. I mean, it, pretty much every time he got the rock, he was – almost averaging a averaging a first down in high school that's insane so 4,800 rushing yards in high school and last year was on the team really didn't get to see a lot of playing action so Nichols State was his really kind of first moment on the field for Memphis and he rushed 16 times for 147 yards and you guessed an average of 9.2 yards per carry in his clearly it carried first over game. Yeah, it did it exactly carried over. Nine point <laughs> two yards step. per carry in high school and now nine point two yards per carry in D one. So didn't miss a step. Did not miss a step. Uh sixteen rushes, 147 yards. He also had a touchdown. But he was not the only running back that touched the ball. I think Memphis is similar to A State in the fact that they have three or four guys at running back that they feel good about getting rushes. Um Another guy, Rodriguez Clark, rushed for 84 yards, and Asa Martin rushed for 65 yards. I, I think they are similar to A-State in the fact that, again, like they do have three to four guys that will get touches and will be out there at running back. Yeah, but, they've they've done it for years. Yeah. I mean, when Antonio Gibson was there, they had Gainwell backing him up, and then it was Gainwell uh, last year, and um, obviously Thomas was backing him up. And now yeah. it's Thomas, and I'm sure they have another stud running back backing him. <laughs> they do, yeah. I mean, so they, I mean, they have two or three different guys besides Thomas that will touch the ball on Saturday. But I think one of the biggest differences from a state is I'm sure it's kind of hard to prepare for the a state rushing attack because I mean, you had three guys that rushed the ball for a state in Saturday's game against UCA and all rushed it pretty well. 
And then there's, you know, Lincoln Parry who didn't touch, who didn't get on the field, who you expect at some point will be in that running back rotation. So, whereas A-State, you probably have three to four guys that are all, you know, just as kind of good as each other. And you have three to four guys that you feel really confident in. Memphis has that, but they have one guy that is a clear-cut number one running back right. in Brandon Thomas. So, it'll be interesting to see. I think the running back comparison um, – while their starter is probably more solidified than A-State's starter because they keep rotating. But um, I think in terms of comparing the depth, I think A-State has a little bit of an advantage. I think all of their running backs are pretty evenly spaced out in terms yeah. of skill and all of that um, and receiving ability. So it'll be interesting to see because Memphis, I mean, like I said, they always have that dark horse running back that no one knows, and then they just go off one game. So. Yeah. It could be this game, or it could be later on in the season. But either way, going to be really exciting to see these two rushing offenses against each other. So rushing side, Memphis obviously has a lot of key pieces. Quarterback, that's kind of where the unknown is. Uh, led by a true freshman quarterback in Seth Hennigan. Uh, Evan Barnes of the Commercial Appeal uh, a couple of days ago interviewed former Memphis quarterback Brady White and White had nothing but praises for him said I think he's going to be really really good in his first division one game he was 60 percent passing for 265 yards and a touchdown averaged about 8.3 yards per pass obviously it's pretty good I mean it's okay it's it's not the greatest stat line in the world but I'd say for a freshman that's pretty solid he didn't turn the ball over he completed a couple of long passing plays but it's going to be interesting I mean A-State got pressure on Braylon Smith last week and so if A-State is able to get pressure on him in his first true road game oh it's how does he respond you know I I don't know uh that's kind of the unknown with a freshman quarterback there uh last week his top receiver was Joe Ivory a sophomore who had five catches for 106 yards uh He's in his second year at wide out, and then he has a couple of other guys that uh, caught a lot of passes last week. Uh, Calvin Austin, who's a senior who played in that A-State game a year ago, had 47 receiving yards. So a pretty experienced wide receiver core with an inexperienced quarterback for the Memphis offense. So it'll be interesting to see if that 53-32 to 32 kind of balance on offense stays the same or if Memphis is more run leaning on Saturday with a freshman quarterback making his first road start uh, against a pretty good defensive front so it'll be interesting to see kind of what the balance is and play calling for Memphis I'm on really Saturday honestly out of all the games this weekend I think this is the one I'm the most excited for because I think it's just such a, a pretty close matchup and yeah. These are both really solid teams, you know, obviously an hour away, so the fan bases are going to be there. Um, hoping it's more full than last game. Last game was a little disappointing, as we said, but um, it's going to be really exciting. This is going to be a great game. Two really good head coaches, so this is exciting. I'm excited. On the offensive line, uh, from left guard to right tackle, it's three, two, four, three years of experience starting on that offensive line. Uh, last week, Nichols only had two tackles for loss. They had zero quarterback hurries. Pretty good up front for Memphis, but penciled in at left tackle is a redshirt freshman in Joda Gamble who made his first career start last week on the offensive line. So, can A-State get pressure from that left side of the offensive line and kind of exploit the inexperience there? That'll be a big 
question on Saturday night. So, uh, pretty good rushing offense for Memphis. Young in some spots offensively, and still, even after one game against Nichols, a lot of unknown offensively uh, that we'll be able to find out on Saturday night at uh, Centennial Bank Stadium. We'll keep the A-State conversation going as Philip Butterfield will join us on the other side of this timeout here on The Ticket. Kara's icing down. Bobo's in the pen. But Kate and Andrew are dealing. The setup continues right after this on The Ticket. Hatcher steps up. Rolls left. Throwing for Rucker. Caught inside the 20. Rucker inside the 10. He's going to score. Touchdown, Corey Rucker from 34 yards out. After their week one win, Butch Jones and the Red Wolves try to move to 2-0 Saturday as they host the Memphis Tigers. And you can hear it all on your home for A-State football, 107.9 K-Fine. Coverage begins Saturday at 4 with the Mid-South Ford Dealers Tailgate Show. That's followed by the Centennial Bank pregame show at 5 and kickoff at 6. And stay tuned after the game for Wolf House, presented by Baird Auto Group, live from the Embassy Suites Jones. A-State football is sponsored in part by Central Baptist Church, 1812 Pizza, First Financial Mortgage, Tedder Equipment, Blue Cross Blue Shield agent Woody Harrelson, The Old Country Store, Purcell Tire and Service Center, Glen Sane Motors, Tommy's Express Car Wash, Farmers and Merchants Bank, and NEA Baptist. Hey guys, EAB staff meteorologist Sarah Tipton here. I was out with friends last week and they wanted to know what I was doing to look so good. The last six weeks, I've been using the Betts Clinic Weight Loss Program and body contour light. Y'all, I feel so good right now with cleansing my body and losing weight. I've lost 10% of my starting weight, 16 pounds, and I hope to lose more in the coming weeks. The best part? I can feel my obliques and see them too. My arms and shoulders are on fire. I want you to feel and look like this. Being comfortable in my body again is wonderful. If you're like me, you know what to do to lose weight, but you don't want to give it the effort. That's why I chose Club Reduce and Solutions 4. This program at the Betts Clinic combines to help you in a specific way tailored to your body's needs. Want to join me? Call Dina at the Betts Clinic at 870-931-3722. 870-931-3722. The Betts Clinic. The Storehouse has a new location, 3102 Fox Road in Jonesboro, and they have everything for your business. Office supplies, office furniture, fireproof files, printer towers and ink, break room supplies, cleaning supplies, bathroom supplies, self-inking stamps, printing, and so much more. The Storehouse offers free delivery, and you can order online or over the phone if you need. The Storehouse, 3102 Fox Road in Jonesboro, or call 870-972-6360. Put your business in the hands of the experts at The Storehouse today. What's your favorite place in the natural state? Show us. Enter Farmers and Merchants Bank's My Favorite Place in the Natural State photo contest, and you could win one of three big gift baskets packed full of Arkansas-made products. Enter through midnight September 19th at 953theticket.com or our Facebook page. Enter the My Favorite Place in the Natural State photo contest with three gift baskets awarded full of great products made in Arkansas. Brought to you by 95.3 The Ticket and Farmers and Merchants Bank. Member FDIC. Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's the quickest hour in sports talk. That was fast. Now back to the setup on the ticket. All right, welcome back as we are halfway home on a Wednesday setup here on the ticket. Kate Carlton, Andrew Bowen with you. 
here on 95.3 and 96.9 FM, The Ticket. Well, A-State got the win on Saturday night against UCA. It was the debut of head coach Butch Jones, but more importantly, it was the debut of Philip Butterfield on the EAB Red Wolf Sports Network, the new color analyst for A-State. He's with us now on the Ritter Communications Hotline. Philip, how are you? Uh, Kate, I think you're giving me a little too much credit. I, I think everybody's paying attention more to uh, the football game than my broadcast. But, uh, no, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. It's good to uh, catch up with you this week. Well, uh, you were a little bit nervous, but uh, I, I'll tell you, I thought the first game went very good. thought you did a great job. How did, you, how did the first game go for you? Well, I, I pay attention to uh, feedback from people like you or people like Matt and Everybody did fine, so I'll take that as a win. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Um, all right, so let's get into the game itself. Um, obviously, the big storyline coming from the game was just what Lane Hatcher did. Perfect through the air, 12 of 12, four passing touchdowns. What did you kind of make of what we saw unfold with Lane Hatcher Saturday night? You know, kind of going back to the first half, I think a lot of people paid attention to uh, we couldn't finish the drives. We, we started off slow. We had some middle errors. But we had some good moments in the first half, but we just couldn't finish. And Coach Jones talked a lot about how going into halftime and throughout the game, how are you going to make adjustments? How are you going to respond to adversity? And I think the entire team did a great job of that uh, across the board from the offensive side, the defense, the special teams. So uh, I think that you're, you're spot on that Lane Hatcher – uh, and Corey Rucker were kind of the headlines, but if you look at, at the progress that the offensive line make, uh, the running game uh, with the running backs, I think there were a lot of good things that we made adjustments on that are, are positive going into this week. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I guess it came out Monday during uh, you know Butch Jones' Sunbelt Conference or Sunbelt Media Conference, but uh, you know he talked about James Blackman and said, you know, look, the guys around him really kind of did him no favors when he was in the game, and it wasn't his fault entirely that we kind of got off to that start offensively. And, you know, I think he was kind of right about that because it was a little bit of a stagnant start for A-State on offense in the first half. It was, and it was, and kind of like Coach Jones and the rest of the stuff has mentioned, uh, you kind of get those first-game jitters out of the way. A lot of guys are, are thinking about the results showed in the process, and, and that's something that a lot of the players had to take a step back and, and think more about. And, and I think that's something that the coaches relate to them, and we made progress on the entire game. The running game was interesting on Saturday night. Uh, I think we saw more of Alan Lamar than really anybody anticipated. Obviously, Marcel got in there, and you know there were three different options at running back. What did you make of the rushing attack for A State on Saturday night? Well, we knew going into the game that we were going to have a rotation of backs, and, and all the backs are, are extremely talented. We, we, we knew that going in, and Alan Lamar has experience from uh, his time at Yale. Um, uh, I think that we have some weapons, whether that's Lamar, whether that's Lang, whether that's Marcel, or even Perry. I mean, I think all of them bring a lot to the table. And so we're going to be challenged uh, against a good Memphis defense this week. Uh, they have a strong front seven. And so it's going to be a big challenge for us that I think we're excited about. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into that uh, Memphis defense, and we'll get into the A-State defense as well. But, you know, just kind of the last thing we'll touch on here offensively, you already mentioned Corey Rucker, but 
you know, to Valence Hunt, too, was four yards away from a 100-yard receiving game. And, you know, I just I don't think we can say enough about the type of performances that both Corey Rucker and to Valence Hunt gave this A-State offense on Saturday night in the receiving game. Couldn't agree more. And, and those guys have been making plays throughout fall camp. And, and I know they were excited about finally getting out there in, in, the, in the lights and in front of the fans. And, and they showed uh, what they had been showing all fall camp and, and, and even what they had showed in, in spring uh, camp. So I think what, what you're seeing from them uh, isn't a surprise to the coaching staff or the rest of the teammates either. Defensively, uh, probably that was probably the highlight for A-State on Saturday night was that defensive performance performance uh six tackles for loss two interceptions on the defense what did you make of this first look at the uh four down defensive linemen for this uh defense this season well they're a special group um i, I know that that's one thing that i talked about as a key to the game was just cause disruption in that uca passing game and, and you could see joe zugu you could see Gavon bennett and the rest of the interior defensive line uh they did that pretty much every single play um, if they did get off one of their shot plays, he was getting it off as a catch and throw. He wasn't—he didn't have time back there to just sit back and pick his guy. He had to get it off and throw to a single receiver in a, in a single matchup. So I think we did a really good job there. Uh, the defensive backs did a really good job uh, staying pretty close in coverage. And, and they did have that one big play in the yeah. first half that um, uh, did give them a, a spark. Uh, for for UCA, but I think overall uh, across the board defense was a was a highlight for our team. Yeah, and I think one of the more impressive things about defense, and you know, you could point to Kavon Bennett having a standout game with three tackles for loss, but you know, I just thought it was very very balanced defensively. There wasn't kind of one guy that stood out over the rest. I mean, there was a good performance from 11, 12, 13 guys on the defensive side of the ball Saturday night. Oh, uh, you're you're exactly right. I know. A lot of people have been talking about Taylor Doss and, and coming yeah. down from the safety spot, whether he was making plays in the run game or the pass game. Uh, I think it, uh, on the defensive back level, the linebacker level, and especially the D-line, I think we did have a lot, a lot of positives that we can take in the next week. All right, so chatting with Philip Butterfield here, color analyst on the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network. Just a couple of things uh, before we let you get out of here as we'll kind of turn the attention to Memphis this week. This is a Memphis team that has had a lot of success in the American over the last few years. New quarterback offensively. What do you make of this uh, Memphis team? And we'll start first kind of offensively. Yeah, offensively, and I know uh, I caught the back end of y'all's conversation. It sounded like uh, y'all had mentioned uh, Brandon Thomas and yeah. their running game. And, and that's something that uh, for the, the true freshman quarterback that they need. And they established very early on against that Nickel State team. Um, they want to run the ball. They got some bruisers that run it back, and they have an offensive line that can get a lot of push, get to the second level. Um, so that's going to be a big challenge for our defense this week. Um, last week, UCA was a, a kind of a pass-first offense, in my opinion. Yeah. And you can see that Memphis is going to be a little bit different. So it's going to be a challenge, but I think our defense and, and Coach Harley and the staff is, is going to be ready for it. On the defensive side of things, what do you think Memphis will bring to the table to try and combat this A-State offense? You know, one thing that we struggled to, to kind of get a spark in the first half was our run game. Yep. And I think Memphis, um, from what I saw in the Nickel State game, is that they, they have a, a kind of a, run a, a front three uh, for their defensive line. And so they're going to dare you to run. 
And what that means is they'll have eight guys uh, in the defensive backfield, uh, four defensive backs, four linebackers. And so they're going to dare you to run the ball. And I think that's going to be a big challenge for us this week is for our offensive line to get some push, uh, running backs to, to turn out those extra yards. And I think that will open up the passing game. But if not, they're going to keep eight guys uh, in pass coverage, and that's going to uh, close a lot of those passing lanes for us. All right, so Memphis comes to town this week. It's the first time that they have been in Jonesboro in, I guess, almost 10 years. But they came to Jonesboro in 2011, and A-State won 47-3. They came in 2012, and A-State won 33-28. to You were an A-State player at that point. What do you remember about both of those last two games from the last time Memphis was in town? Well, in, in my senior year, I was 13. And so we went to Memphis and um, uh, didn't handle a, didn't have a great game ourselves. Uh, but they're a great program. We have a rivalry that goes back a, a long time. And did I, I don't know if I heard that this might be the 60th uh, show, showcase for us between the two teams. But we have a great rivalry, and it's going to be a lot of fun playing. They have a great coaching staff with Coach Silverfield um, that, that are going to have these guys ready to play. Yeah, it's the 60th career meeting between A-State and Memphis on Saturday, so how about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Philip, good to catch up with you. Uh, looking forward to hearing you on the call on uh, Saturday, and uh, we'll check in with you this time next week. Sounds great, Kate. Have a great one, and we'll talk soon. All right, sounds good. That's Philip Butterfield of the EAB Red Wolves Sports Network, the color analyst for A-State, who, by the way, did a really, really good job on the A-State broadcast Saturday. thought it sounded really good. He was... I think he was kind of nervous, but he, he did a really good job. It sounded really good. So uh, looking forward to hearing that uh, this Saturday from Centennial Bank Stadium. You can catch Philip doing the color analysis with Matt Stoltz on the play-by-play call at 6 o'clock Saturday night inside Centennial Bank Stadium. Pre-game coverage, game coverage all can be heard over on 107.9 KFINE for the game against Memphis. We'll step aside, come back, close out the show after this here on The Ticket. Our advice? Just take the over. More of the setup is coming up next on The Ticket. Most prices still down. Hello, I'm Scotty Woodson on the EAB Ag Network with your EAB Market Countdown. September corn at 498 and a quarter, up two and a half. With December corn at 510 and a quarter, down a half. September soybean to 1270 and three quarters, up two. With November soybean to 1279 and a half, up two and a half. September wheat at 698 and a quarter, down 10 and a half. With December wheat at 709 and a half, down 10 and a quarter. October cotton at 9520, down 21. With December cotton at 948, that's up three. September rice at 1310 unchanged. November rice 1332 down one and a half. Moving on to livestock now. October live cattle at 123.10 down 65. December live cattle at 128.65 down 90. September feeder cattle at 156.05 down 22 and a half. October feeder cattle at 159.27 and a half down 77 and a half. October lane hogs at 87.37 and a half down 72 and a half. December hogs at 80.55 down 22 and a half. That's your EAB market countdown, and I'm Scotty Woodson. Have a great day. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. 
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. I guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. What are you looking for in a dentist? Experience, a friendly, caring staff, the latest in procedures and technology. You can have all of those things at Brooklyn Dental. Dr. Tony and Dr. Adams have been taking care of patients across the area for years and have brought that care to the all-new Brooklyn Dental. They're accepting new patients right now and work with all types of insurance. So why wait? Call Brooklyn Dental now at 393-5330 to schedule an appointment. That's 393-5330. Brooklyn Dental, open now on Highway 49 North in Brooklyn. Red Wolves fans, this is Coach Butch Jones, and it's game week. We need you in Centennial Bank Stadium this Saturday. Hatcher steps up, rolls left, throwing for Rucker, caught inside the 20. Rucker inside the 10, he's going to score. Touchdown, Corey Rucker from 34 yards out. Help us lock the vault. Secure your seat now. Visit astateredwolves.com or call 870-972-2781. Wolves up. Timeout's over, and we're going to a full-court press. Now let's get back to the setup on the ticket. All right, welcome back as we get set to close out a Wednesday, September 8th edition of the setup here on the ticket. Kate Carlton, Andrew Bowen with you here for... Uh, about 12 more minutes or so. Thanks to Philip Butterfield, the color analyst on the EAB Red Wolf Sports Network, for joining us to recap that UCA game Saturday night preview. Memphis this upcoming Saturday night at Centennial Bank Stadium. Always good to catch up with him. Uh, full show and that interview with Philip Butterfield, by the way, available at soundcloud.com slash 95.3 the ticket, as well as in podcast format. Uh, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, a few others uh, by searching for the setup. So uh, you can find that there after the uh, show is over today. All right, so something interesting that came out last night from J.P. Finley of NBC Sports. According to Tanya Snyder, who was on the Adam Schefter podcast, the Washington football team, have their final eight names remaining. It is, and they're choosing from, the Red Hogs, the Defenders, the Armada, the Presidents, the Brigade, the Brigade, the Commanders, Washington football team, and the Red Wolves. Interesting. Washington Red Wolves has been a very popular name among the now Washington football team fan base. And kind of stealing a state's thunder even up to last summer it got a lot of attraction or a lot of attention and then you know the club was like hey we're just going to be the washington football team this year we'll reassess in the offseason but when there was a 
chance that they potentially could change their name last summer, the Washington Red Wolves got a lot of traction. So it, I don't know if anything's going to come of it. Maybe they just say the Washington football team. Maybe they go with one of the other seven options there. But I kind of the, hope uh, they uh, change it because every time I search Washington football and I'm looking for college, their team comes up, and it's kind of aggravating. Yeah. So I would love if they changed yeah. it. But I, I don't know what, like, the uh, – if they change it to the Red Wolves, it's going to be interesting from a lot of fronts, but mainly from the, like, that's a name and logo and everything that A-State already has trademarked. So what kind of procedures do you have to go to go through to get the rights to also have the name Red Wolves? It'd be, it'd be kind of interesting because I'd love to see, one, the Twitter exchanges between fan bases, and two, um, it'd be interesting see how the legal teams handle that and see what happens but what did you say the wild the red hogs was the other yes one? i don't like that at all <laughs> the red hogs but yeah red wolves is a good name so it is i understand I mean, I just, why they want it i would be very interested to see what uh yeah what the, what the conversations would be surrounding that if they choose to go uh with red wolves but i, I still think that's probably a next off i mean we're the nfl season kicks off tomorrow night that's got to be a next off season deal when we really start to see kind of traction put on a new name change uh so the nfl does kick off tomorrow night and we'll kind of talk about the nfl on tomorrow's show but we'll kind of keep it on the college football theme here as we had a great weekend of college football i mean it was Thursday through Monday, kind of a full slate of college football. And we're going to have another great weekend of college football. And the next great weekend of college football starts in, I guess, a couple of days. Yeah, it's Friday night. That's Kansas and Coastal Carolina um, and UTEP and Boise, a few other games. So Riveting, um, riveting matchups. Right riveting, <laughs> riveting Friday nights. So, but week one was great. I mean, there were a lot of good storylines, a lot of good matchups. A lot of good upsets. Yeah, a lot of good upsets. We saw a couple of FCS upsets. Uh, really good storylines. I it, wish Tulane got that win. That would have been yeah, the it, icing it was, on the cake. Yeah, that was a great game. But a lot of good storylines, and then you get to Monday night. And here's the thing about Monday night. One team looked dominant. One team looked not very good. And really, that's what I wish I could take away from the game and really not think about anything else. But when you look at Monday night, the Ole Miss-Louisville game, and not even Monday night, you saw it in Penn State-Wisconsin too with Ellis Brooks, the linebacker of Penn State, getting ejected for a questionable targeting call, which on the broadcast, Joel Klatt kind of went off I was, on yeah, I was about to say. the officials and the NCAA and the rule, but and again, like I've been watching college football for a long time, and I've watched a lot of college football games since the targeting rule was put into place. I don't ever remember four players getting ejected in a half, much less a game for targeting, which is what happened on Monday night in the Ole Miss-Louisville game where two Ole Miss linebackers were ejected, and then a couple of Louisville defensive players were ejected as well. And I'm sure it happened in other games throughout college football, but the Penn State-Wisconsin and the Ole Miss-Louisville was the one where it was kind of put on the forefront of the college football talk. I mean, I don't want to sound like that guy, but I feel like it's it's just like making football 
like not what it is. It's, it is. It's, it's just like trying to protect everyone as much it is. as you can. But it's a violent sport. Stuff like that happens. It is. And I had no problem when the rule first came out. I had no problem with it. Yeah, I didn't either. Because the first year or two that the targeting rule came out, I thought it was consistently officiated. If you intentionally lead with the crown of your helmet and you hit a defenseless runner, it's an automatic targeting. Which but, it should be because, I mean, yes. that's how you cause concussions and plenty But of somewhere in the midst of that to where we are now, we have gotten way off track with what actually is a targeting to the point that – Nobody really knows what a targeting call is. I mean, I saw one true targeting call in the Ole Miss Louisville game, and that's when Matt Corral is running, he slides down, and two Louisville players leave with the crown of their helmet and hit Corral in his helmet. That's targeting. Automatic. Toss 100%. Awesome. 100%. My, but, my thing is, I feel like you should just, if it's close or if it's not like when Matt got hit or uh, Matt Corral got hit, it should be, it should be a warning. I feel like yeah. just automatic ejection for an accidental hit or something not as intentional or vigorous should just be a warning. Well, and the other problem I have with it, too, is that the defender gets penalized if their head is even the slightest bit of down. Even if they're leading with their shoulder, if their head is just slightly down, they're getting penalized and they're saying, you know, you're leading with the crown of your helmet in this tackle. But on the other side, if the runner is leading with the crown of their helmet, they are not getting penalized. So it right. can't be this it can't be this one fold thing where it's only the defender that gets penalized. If the runner leads with their helmet, I don't think you can call a targeting, but they're still calling targeting. So it's it's the it's the inconsistency in which it's officiated which drives me insane. But but on the other side, it's the fact that if you get hit with a targeting whether it's a targeting or not, if they come out on Tuesday or Monday and the SEC or whatever conference it is, the officiating review is like, hey, that's not a targeting and it shouldn't have been called, whatever. Well, guess what? You still were out at least a half of that game if it happened in the second half or pretty much the whole game if it happened in the first half. So you're asking a football player to pretty much sacrifice one out of the guaranteed 12 games they get a year via an injection because of what an official thinks they saw. Right. I hate it. I mean, I think I wish it was more like a flagrant one or a flagrant two in college basketball. basketball. Because, and we'll just stay on the Ole Miss-Louisville game. Three of those four targetings, if that's the barometer of which we're going with, are flagrant ones and they get to stay in the game. It's a warning and you get to stay in the game. Right. The hit on Corral, that's a flagrant two, you're out. I get it. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100% in on that. But not every targeting is created equal and to which a football player should be ejected from the game. It's weird to me because the NFL is the king – or uh, the football in general is the king of un- of that gray line where stuff like that happens that's not black and white. So why would you make a black and white rule where there's plenty – probably the most gray area out of any rule – that is in the rule book. So it, is. it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. This reminds me of the NFL catch, catch or no catch thing. Yeah. That was a problem. Yeah. That's still a problem, arguably. Not as big, but now targeting has gone from this, okay, reasonable calls, reasonable calls, understandable. Now it's, okay, everything's targeting. It is. It's it, like they want to take away tackling. And it got to the point where, 
like you saw it on both sides Monday night in the Ole Miss Louisville game where guys were kind of timid to tackle in the second half because they didn't want to get ejected for targeting like it, you can't have football football is a violent sport in its nature yeah. and yes there are certain instances where it should be called and someone should be ejected but there is no reason to have four players ejected in one game and I would be interested to know what the final count of targeting ejections in week one is because it's probably double digits because we know of at least five that happened and there's probably more that didn't get talked about or maybe got talked about but we weren't watching the game so it's it just it feels like like when you're saying with basketball it feels like when the ref is calling every single foul yeah everyone's played are afraid to make contact and block the shot so yeah it's the same thing it changes the game completely it could flip it for another team that's maybe more physical and known for that I mean if this was back in the day that Seahawks defense the uh, I forget what their nickname was, but the very physical yeah. linebackers and safeties, they would be ejected every game. Yeah, and it just – I just – I have a problem with the inconsistency and in the way it's called and the fact that it's an automatic ejection. That's just what kind of drives me insane. And then you add in the third thing of we don't need any more replay timeouts in college football. Games are already going three and a half, four hours as it is. We don't need another replay timeout for a targeting. So it's yeah, just it's, kind of a – it's it's just kind of it's a just mess. weird because they glorify these safeties that are huge hitters like at Miami yeah. in the past and now they're like oh never mind take it away all right uh, that'll do it for the show today hey if you haven't get a chance check out uh, second to none the A State podcast it's up across all podcasting flat platforms just search second to none this week's episode is now up that'll do it for us today thanks to philip butterfield for joining us on the phone lines thanks to andrew bowen on the other side for producing the program the drive is next 7 to 10 the front row with budro tomorrow 10 to 12 red wolf roll call 12 to 2 workday red zone get you back to us tomorrow from 2 to 3 for andrew i'm kate saying so long have a great wednesday we'll talk to you tomorrow